the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner, Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. So yesterday the market had its worst day in a year. Not surprising. We've had an amazing four-month run. Saw a CPI number that said, yeah. Things aren't going to be as easy for the Federal Reserve to cut rates as we want them to. Even the Fed has said it's not going to be that easy anyway. Um, today, we're seeing a bit of a rebound. Does that worry you? Does that change your plan for retirement? Last year, Generation Z saved $6,400. Millennial saved $9,200. Generation X saved $5,100. Baby boomers, $4,000. When you hear those numbers, it doesn't sound like they're going to get to $2 million. CFP Chad Burton will be in town February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day, to talk about loving on your portfolio, um, doing the right thing, getting it saved up to have more money so that you can live off of it without a lot of stress in your golden years. Um, Sanford Park Hotel in Menlo Park, California, that's 630 to 830 Thursday this week, February 15th. Um, 6.30 to 8.30, the seven steps to retirement readiness. Are you ready? CFP Chad Burton, are you ready to retire? I know you're a little bit on the young side, but can you pass your own seven steps? I think that if, I, if I'm if i not continuing to build and keep my brain occupied by financial planning and the strategy around that, and mm-hmm. also my goal to you know eventually have my kids come into the business and not necessarily work with them directly right away, because that's tough on family, but eventually... Uh, you know, hand some clients to them uh, as I take more time off. Yeah, little but nepo I, I, kids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nothing wrong. So, with that. no, and I, I would definitely encourage people if their kids are trying to find some sort of a, a route in the world of finance. A lot of kids say, "Oh, I want to get in the world of finance and investing," and they take yeah. finance courses at colleges, and that's not really what we do. There's colleges like Texas Tech, University of Hawaii, uh, others that have the personal financial planning degree program, and you know, there's not a problem for kids getting jobs when they come out of college, having prepped and passed the CFP certified financial planner designation. Right. Plenty, plenty of options for them. I would be proud of my kids followed in your footsteps, but not so much in mine because I'm the wealth accumulator. You're the wealth manager. Um, <laughs> let's talk about portfolio construction. I think um, recently we've seen big tap tech do very, very well. We've seen um, the rest of the market have okay returns, but not stellar returns, even though we've had a stellar 15-month, 14-month uh, period on Wall Street at this point in time. 
Any thoughts on portfolio construction that we need to know? Well, yeah, I think on yesterday's show, we talked about that value versus growth, right? Mm -hmm. That the 2020, beginning of 2022 to the end of 2023, value total return, if you would have stayed with it over those two years, actually outperformed growth during that window. Um, So that's just an example of why you need both. Another example of portfolio construction is key and the right amount of cash is key is because of 2022, where stocks and bonds were down together. And that means nothing to you and I, right? We're always putting money into our 401ks every two weeks. But for those that are retired drawing on their portfolios, that's an issue, right? You never want to have to sell in a down market because it always comes back. It's just a matter, is it a few months or is it a few years, right? So you have to make sure you have enough dividends and interest from your portfolio and cash. Now, And then the idea is, okay, what truly is a 60-40 portfolio and how do you build it when you've got all these different account types, right? You've got cash in the bank. You've got your 401k, which is mostly pre-tax. You've got your IRAs, which is pre-tax. You've got your Ross, which is tax-free. And then you've got taxable accounts. At, you know, Let's say it's Fidelity or Schwab or wherever. And um, you're buying, say, you know, funds or ETFs that are kicking off some dividends and interest and capital gains and maybe some tax-free bonds. How do you put that all together and, and make that 60-40 portfolio with a lot of tax efficiency, Rob? That, that's key. Tax efficiency really is key. And I'm really starting to learn that because I'm counting on dividends and they play a different tax game than, say, capital gains. And they play a different tax game than, say, um, your income that you're generating um, from Social Security. What do we need to know about tax efficiencies and and how they all play together? Well, kind of give you an example of um, somebody that we worked with that um, had been on a pretty well-known stock Okay. And is retiring with a large amount of that that well known stock. So we're doing some hedging, some covered calls, and you know callers and things like that to protect um, the value of it while we wait until next year to sell another chunk of it. But we showed them basically they're at this point of early retirement where the the only source of income that they're going to have is the interest that they're earning on cash in the bank, a little bit of dividends from this stock because it doesn't pay much in dividends. Um, but they're really not going to have any other ordinary taxable income until their social security kicks in and they start drawing potentially from their IRAs. So we showed them that, okay, if we take a tax hit this year by selling enough stock to get you short up for the next two years, that going forward, we can play off what's called the capital gains bracket, which is for married filing jointly, you have your standard deduction or itemized deduction, right? That's a certain amount that's tax-free. Plus, you know, almost 80,000 or so that you could sell without paying a federal tax. And so there's, there's ways to play with the tax brackets to make sure what are my sources of income and how do I keep my taxes lower for longer? So by showing them here, here's one, you know, tax bill that you're going to pay in 2024. Mm -hmm. But we can whittle away at this individual stock that you have too much of in 2025 and 26 at a really low bracket. Now, the tax system could change, Rob, because everything that we're doing right now is based on the 2017 tax package that Trump passed. And that's all set to expire in 2026 if Congress doesn't act to, to do something else or make that permanent. So we'll, we'll know a lot in you know November, right? Or have more of a guess in November. Um, but there's some really, really good options for retirees in this. And so that kind of goes into what is a 60-40 portfolio between 60% in growth, 40% defensive? That's typically 60 stocks, 40 bonds. And then we go a little bit deeper. Of the stocks, we have large, small, mid, 
international emerging markets. And of bonds, we have municipal tax-free bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have normal bonds like corporate bonds and you know, treasuries and things like that. Um, and then we have alternatives too that we can talk about in terms of where do we put those? Quick uh, response from me on this one because we're running out of time. But I has I was talking to someone from Texas who has no state income tax. And he goes, I really enjoy it because I can buy a municipal bond from any state where in California, you buy California Muni, you don't pay taxes, income taxes because it's in California. But you don't have that same thing where you can buy any na- national Muni bond. Is that part of the thinking that you put into retirement? Like, do you do that kind of depth of uh, someone in Texas versus someone in California has have different options and we have one minute? Yep, absolutely. Because you have you have a effective tax yield. So you can look at California munis. You move to the state of Washington, you're going to want national munis. And you can see what is the what yeah. is the equivalent taxable yield versus this tax-free yield. And sometimes, you know, it, it may or may not make sense. Think you're in good shape for retirement? Find out how you're really doing with the seven steps for retirement readiness. Join Rob Black and CFP Chad Burton of EP Wealth Advisors Thursday, February 15th in Menlo Park for a live event. Chad will walk you through these seven steps to find out whether you are really ready for the retirement you want. Rob will provide timely commentary and Chad will share specific strategies for taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, and more. If you have at least $500,000 in investable assets and want to gauge where your retirement stands, pass on your estate, and create tax efficiencies, this event is for you. The Seven Steps for Retirement Readiness, Thursday, February 15th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Stanford Park Hotel in Menlo Park. Space is limited, so sign up today at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Can you pass all seven tests? Sign up online today at robblackshow.com. Jeff Bezos has done two very interesting financial moves. One of them was to get a divorce without a prenup. He was the wealthiest man in the world with a net worth of $150 billion dollars. Um, he currently is worth about $191 billion. What would have he had if he didn't get that divorce? Um, well over $220 million is the thought at this point in time. Um, he would have been on pace to potentially become the first trainer. So a divorce cost him a lot of wealth. And then recently he moved to Miami from Seattle and saved $600 million in taxes from selling $4 billion worth of Amazon stock in four days. Now, he doesn't have to worry about the 60-40 stock portfolio, Chad, but any quick thoughts on Bezos getting a divorce and uh, moving to another state for tax purposes? Well, I think the math is more than you can ever spend divided by more than you can ever spend equals <laughs> more than you can ever spend. <laughs> so... I don't even know how to answer that one. But I mean, just that whole idea of moving states to save money, um, you know, having the office in Vancouver, Washington, which is a stone throw from Portland, Oregon, and then, you know, Woodward Shores in the Bay Area. You know, when clients would talk about moving to Washington because of the lack of income tax at the state, and there's only a sales tax here. Um, I'm like, okay, well, you, you might want to hold on to your house before you give up that property tax base to see if you can deal with the rain and <laughs> basically September through you know June. Other than that, it's beautiful in the Northwest, but the state of Washington passed a capital gains tax now. So I've had now business owner clients move out of the state of Washington to Nevada to avoid that. So 
there in some of these states where there's been a lot of migration, they're probably going to have to increase taxes at some at some rate. Uh, and that's one of the controls that you do have in retirement and retirement planning is, you know, the market's going to do what it's going to do, right? Mm-hmm. Stocks are going to still average pretty much the same that they always have and have the number same number of positive years and negative years. Bonds have finally returned to more of a normal rate, still a little bit slightly lower than when you and I first met in 1999. Um, but Morningstar, you know, continually puts out studies and typically what you see is that the average investor loses about 15% of their return to taxes. And so tax efficiency and tax planning is one of the ways that certified financial planner practitioners add value when it comes to portfolios and how long your money is going to last. That's where you can actually have a lot of control. If you know the tax rates, where you're drawing your money from. And in the beginning, you set up your proper portfolio, not only asset allocation, that's the same no matter what, but it's asset location. We have large cap, small cap, mid cap in terms of stocks and international emerging markets in terms of stocks. Um, And where do those go? And you have tax-free municipal bonds and then you have corporate bonds and you have U.S. treasuries and some mortgage bonds. Where do those go? Which types of accounts are, are the best? Um, so if you have different types of accounts, it, I, you know, I guess, Rob, it, a lot of people, right? I mean, they have, first of all, 70% of Americans are under, underprepared for retirement. So that's one issue. So we're talking to those that are, yep. you know, and a lot of people have just money in a 401k that's never been taxed. Right. So then it's as, it's just about asset allocation. But more of those that are out there have taxable accounts, cash accounts, IRAs, 401ks, Roths, and different types of tax buckets. And the construction is kind of key to reduce your ongoing tax bill, which is one of people's biggest expenses in retirement. So switching the gears to the 60-40 concept and how people should approach it today, again. Last year was a different year. This year, the year before was a different year. Is that going to be a constant in your mind that you're going to have to tinker with the allocation of bonds and allocation of stocks as we approach retirement and as we're in retirement? Yeah, it's it's something that you tinker in terms of what's the what's the move to get from a you know 100 growth portfolio that you might have 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and transitioning to a more conservative lower volatility portfolio as you hit to retirement. So it's a lot of times it's a slower transition and some of that can be done with your contributions, like targeting what asset classes that you're missing out of your portfolio and just let the other ones run. Um, in a perfect world, if somebody's retiring at 65 and we're trying to build a 60-40 portfolio and that 60-40 is 60% growth, 40% defensive, right? Mm-hmm. So in the past, 60% would just mean stocks. What I like to do is 55% stocks 5% alternatives, which could be private credit, private real estate, and private equity, right? So things that aren't just normally traded on the stock market, but are very attractive in terms of portfolio construction. And the 40% in bonds. And if I have somebody that has is starting with all cash, what I'm going to do with the taxable account, that's ideally where I'm going to have the majority of my large cap stock exposure, whether it's individual stocks or index, you know, type ETFs, there's very low turnover needed. There's not a lot of capital gains that are kicking off as changes are made inside those ETFs. Um, So they're very tax efficient. So my, ideally my taxable account is going to be mostly large cap exposure 
And then I'll have half of my bond exposure through in California would be California tax-free munis. And that might be right now very attractive for a retiree's laddered bond portfolio where you have your California tax-free bonds um, allocated where you have one-tenth of it maturing every year. So not only do you have tax-free income from the bond, but you have principal that's maturing every year so that you can either choose to spend that money. If the stock market's down, maybe we buy more stocks at maturity. If the stock market, uh, if the bonds look attractive, we just would let that bond mature and then buy a new 10-year bond. Um, In the IRA, that's where I'm going to hold the majority of my small cap, my international, my emerging markets and mid cap. Because inside those funds, to be a good um, small cap manager or mid cap manager, uh, and to, you know, especially if you're trying to control risk on the downside and and profitability issues and things like that, you're typically going to get a little more turnover in those types of funds, Rob. So if they're in a taxable account, they could be causing capital gains taxes, even when you're not pulling money out of them. So if you put those in your IRA, no matter what the manager's doing in terms of rebalancing the individual stocks inside the fund, um, you know, selling some things for a gain, it's not going to, you're not going to pay taxes on it until you pull the money out. And then that's where I'd get the rest of my bond exposure for corporate bonds and treasuries and mortgage backed securities and things like that. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcase is always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. So a super important event coming up February 15th, Thursday. That's this Thursday, 6.30, in Menlo Park, the Seven Steps for Retirement Readiness. Um, it's a big event. It's two plus hours. I'll get there around 4.30 and uh, pre-answer questions on CFP issues and stock market issues. Uh, Chad will be there 6.30 to 8.30 running the event. Um, you can sign up at chadburton.com or robblackshow.com. It's the seven steps for retirement readiness. Um, they all have to work together. That's the big mistake I see people make. Um, they don't have them all work together. The information has to be shared with each other components. Taxes need to know about income. Income needs to know about long-term care. Investing needs to know about taxes. Life goals need to know about what's funding those. Um, they all need to work together. Interesting to note, and this is for you retirees, parents, 60% of parents pay bills for adult children. That's a staggering number, whether it's cell phones or rent. Um, it can add up to a lot of money that should be going towards maybe long-term care. But also, we're taking care of our parents. Um, caring for aging parents, there's you know a, a process to it as best we can. Some cultures prefer to uh, take care of their parents. Some parents don't want their kids taking care of them. Chad, do you see that? You know, there's some conflicts. There's some some um, mixed signals with with baby boomers now as they're retiring. Um, many are hitting sixty five this year, and yet you see some of them not having enough for retirement, and yet still taking care of their kids. Well, yeah, and it, well, I see the opposite too. Of in terms of the sandwich generation, kids that are taking care of their parents and have kids just you know still at the at the end of college or grad school. Wow. Yeah. Um, so talk about some extra expenses. Um, just yesterday I put in a 
budget for a client that was helping a parent out at $50,000 a year. And it could be more for a while. And it, it's cultural too. Like I see different cultures that, you know, honestly do a better job of taking care of their parents in terms of it's expected that they move in with them. Um, and those types of discussions have to be talked about in the beginning of a financial plan. Cause if you can imagine if, and this is really happens a lot when people go to advisors, so-called advisors, Rob, that work on a commission, like by selling annuities and stuff like that, that person is so eager for you to retire and roll your 401k into a garbage annuity so they can earn five to 7% commission that they're not going to talk you through those family issues, right? Where as a certified financial planner practitioner that and working with firms that hold them out themselves out as fiduciaries, they're going to go through all of these different scenarios, have these conversations. What are some of these costs that you're not thinking about now, but may be in your budget and your cash flow projections later. And how are we going to fund that? Um, you know, in some cases, it's if you know that that funding is going to happen and you're at a really high tax bracket and your parents at a really low bracket, um, you know, potentially giving some highly appreciated stock to them so that they could sell it at their bracket at some point in time in the future, that actually might make sense, right? So there's a lot of tax strategies around that as well. Good to know. Good to know. <clears throat> I do think that's kind of one of the more confusing parts about retirement is you can jump online. You can read what the IRS tells you. You can read what um, the Wall Street Journal tells you. You can read what Chad tells you and kind of forget that we're all slightly different and there is no one sheeter, so to speak, of how to go about this. Um, so the event is coming up tomorrow night, Thursday night, 6.30 to 8.30. Um, what about alternatives? You were talking a little bit about them. And that's one area that I don't know. Does the average person have access to alternatives, private credit, private equity, private real estate? And if they do, are their offerings as good as what, like, for instance, EP Wealth offers? Um, does that question make sense? It does. It does. And so right now we're talking about portfolio construction for accounts that are over $2 million, right? Because mm -hmm. that's that's where we start to add alternatives in there. And, you know, that in terms of, you know, let's say you're 65 and you got $2 million, you're not going to want to draw more than 80 grand a year from that portfolio. Um, you've, you know, because you got to leave money in there for inflation because every year you're going to, you know, theoretically, you're going to draw out more and more. So even though you're going to be earning more than four over the long run, you, you're, you need to leave some in there for your future expenses, right? So the alternatives that we look at, um, we first of all, they have to be for accredited investors. We have a $2 million minimum before we start adding these things in. And part of it is because the good ones typically have some, some tie-up, right? Where when you go in, these, these alternative investments, they want long-term money. They don't want people that go in and out. They, they have plans for the money. So there's the different ones that I like are... Um, direct lending or private credit. That's the same asset class. And if you hear that term, direct lending or private credit, if you turn on CNBC and Bloomberg, you're going to hear this topic quite a bit now. Um, the reason why that, that that sector has grown so much is because there's a whole bunch of changes of banking regulation since the 90s between Sarbanes-Oxley and Dodd-Frank, where banks were over-leveraging themselves in terms of investing in companies and then leveraging on buyout offers and then taking those loans and packaging them up and, you know, boom, we had part of the clinic crisis. But so um, direct lending, uh, the ones, there, there's some of them, Rob, that are publicly traded that are really almost like hidden venture capital funds that you want to steer clear of. They're very volatile. 
Okay. And people find them because they have very high yields, right? North of 9%. But they're very volatile when you buy the ones on the you know exchanges. Okay. Um, the ones that we like to find, or we, we try to call them the more blue chip ones, where they're, they're funding companies, profitable companies that are buying other companies with secured notes and rates that are tied to SOFR, which is kind of the new, you know, kind of replaced LIBOR. So the yields are very high, right? But a lot of times there's liquidity issues. So typically you can't sell in the first year. And the alternative investments have the ability to say that we're only going to want, if you want to start drawing your money out, if if everybody's trying to sell at the same time, they have the ability to put in liquidity gates of like 5% a quarter where you could only get 5% of your money out a quarter. So that's why you want to make sure that you're doing it with assets that are long-term and you can get rewarded with really good income. Um, and I call them alternatives because they're not quite bonds because there could be some leveraging and they're not quite stocks, but the returns and the yields have been really, really good. Um, so that private credit, that direct lending asset class, I like to put in retirement accounts. Right, because if you're not needing the all of the income yet, then it's growing tax deferred. Uh, another one is private equity. Right, that's that's the idea of uh, being able to invest in companies that are not yet public, and a lot fewer companies. I mean, this is probably something we should talk talk about more. Rob is a lot fewer companies are going public these days. We had a big, you know, amount last year because of the market finally rallied, but a lot of companies are saying, you know what? It's too much of a pain to deal with the reporting issues and everything else. So we're going to stay private until we're purchased by somebody bigger, potentially. Mm. Or we're just going to wait longer to go public. And so to be able to invest in those, you got to be private equity. Well, that's, again, accredited investors. And that's a longer term investment. And those are also, I think, good for retirement accounts. And then other ones is private real estate. Uh, private real estate can be very tax efficient. So it's good for taxable accounts because when you own real estate, just like a rental property, you have your income and you have offsetting that is depreciation. And so a lot of the income that you can get on these things, um, it can be, you know, very tax efficient, if not tax free because of depreciation and return of capital. So the taxes come mm -hmm. later on. And some of the private real estate deals, everybody knows about office real estate, right, Rob? Sure. I mean, it, it the, the return to work in downtown San Francisco, downtown Oakland, downtown Portland, horribly run cities where there's garbage and homeless everywhere. And, and just, you know, it, it's a disaster that those, those offices, it's going to be forever before it returns to work because nobody really wants to drive down in there. Some of those buildings are going to be rehabbed and turned into different types of living. But if we take those buildings out and we look at industrial and senior living and, and apartments and student housing and all these other asset classes inside real estate, we're at 40-year highs in terms of occupancy. Um, so investing in private real estate companies that have that exposure, but can also capitalize when these office buildings go on sale for pennies on the dollar um, and then be rehabbed. I mean, that's, that's pretty attractive. That's pretty good long-term rates of return. And if we look at Real estate investment trust is an asset class. They're down about 18 to 20% since 2000, January 2022, if you look at any REITs. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that news is in REITs. And when you look at the private real estate markets, they haven't in the, those, those positions, the net asset value of some of these, um, they haven't fallen as much and they have higher income. Uh, now the trade-off is like I said, your, your money's tied up for longer. You can take the income, but, um, uh, like, for example, Blackstone was in the news. That's one of the larger private real estate 
investment trusts, REITs. And um, they had one big investment firm that had a large exposure that wanted to reduce some of their exposure. So they, you know, basically had a reallocation. They were trimming some of their big gains in that fund. And so Blackstone decided to put in the liquidity gates and say, nope, you can only get out 5% a quarter because we have plans for this money. We're trying to develop and purchase other properties. And we have plans for the money that you committed. So you can get more, uh, less volatile returns in some cases. Um, and some higher income in some cases, but you're giving up some liquidity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine when you have a retirement portfolio that's going to last 30 plus years and you have plenty of assets to live off of because um, you're only putting typically, you know, five to 10% of a portfolio in these things. But, um, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years and I think there's a very good add to portfolios. And you're always trying to find non-correlated assets, that idea of a of an engine in a car, right? When something's going up, something's going down. But when something's going down, something's going up. That's what you're always trying to, to create in a portfolio. Because I work with uh, financial planner at EPI, I have access to some of those products. I don't want to say which ones because it gets complicated. Um, yeah. But in down markets, like yesterday, I wasn't concerned and I didn't check the price, but I did check the price of NVIDIA. And you know what I'm saying? Anyway, yeah. you've just uninvited the mayor of Oakland, Xing Thao, and uh, the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, not coming to the seminar because you mentioned their cities <laughs> are poorly run. Thanks, Chad. Well, have been poorly run. <laughs> Let's see what happens in the future. <laughs> Stanford Park Hotel, Thursday, February 15th, 630 to 837, Steps for Retirement Readiness. Are you ready? Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. I want to talk real estate in this segment with CFP Chad Burton. It's not something that we've talked a lot about for the seven steps of retirement readiness seminar live Thursday evening, 630 to 8.30. Get there early because the whole team will be there early. We're bringing extra financial planners. If you have questions, if you want to meet Ryan, Julie, Dan, and Richard, there's uh, plenty of people to talk to who have that designation. And it's a good designation. It's going to be at the Stanford Park Hotel. It's on El Camino Real. It's easy to get to. It's for people with $500,000 investable assets. But surprisingly to me, Chad, the seven steps for retirement readiness, there's not an obvious one that says real estate. And moving to the Bay Area in 2001, 2002, a lot of people that I know, their plan for retirement is their home. Uh, Maybe a reverse mortgage, maybe selling it and going to a cheaper state. Um, Maybe refinancing money out of it and buying another home. There's a lot of real estate dreams. What's your thoughts on retirement readiness and how we should approach real estate in those final years as we're accumulating wealth before we start managing it? Well, let's, let's set aside the people that might you know, have to downsize to be able to afford to retire at all. That's a totally different financial plan than those that own their home, but also own real estate. And their home is a different decision. You know, like, do I want to 
downsize that and move somebody else. That that's your home. That's your you know one of your biggest liabilities unless you're going to sell it and put it into a liquid portfolio. And in terms of investment real estate, like rental properties, commercial properties, and things like that, that's not part of the pie chart that we were talking about earlier in the show of the 60-40 portfolio, right? We look at and analyze each different real estate investment as its own business. We have software that does it. We we you know point out, here's your net income on the portfolio or on this rental property. And then here's your taxable uh portion of that. So you can see, you know, what is the tax equivalent yield essentially? Because what we're finding, especially in the Bay Area, is people that have owned a rental property for a long period of time. And so the depreciation, Rob, is gone. So when you buy a rental property, the structure on the property, you can depreciate over 27 and a half years. So you take the value of the structure and divide it by 27 and a half. And that depreciation shows up on your schedule E of your tax return and it offsets the taxation of your positive rental income. So that's how rental income can be tax efficient because of that depreciation. Um, but if if the property is fully paid off and the depreciation is mostly gone and you div- you take your net income and you divide it by the value of the home, a lot of people are earning you know well less than 4% on that property and taking all of this risk from renters and people beating up your home and stealing your faucets and just the headaches that come along with it. Stealing your faucets. It, I didn't know that was a thing. Oh man. I've, I've had some crazy stories from I clients. Think you, that, I think you have. Oh, the, the biggest one was the, um, the people let their parrot um, take over one of the bathrooms and the parrot tore all the t- tile off the walls built nests everywhere and was just like this entire bathroom was destroyed by a parrot. Um, Those and you know, those types of things happen. And so, you know, you've got, when you're looking at a rental property, you have to say, okay, here's my income, but here's also my maintenance costs, property management, all those things. And so that's why you get this term swap till you drop. Right. And with real estate, if you get a property that you just don't, you know, your, 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 your income's not very good and you don't, so if your income is only like 3%, you better make sure you got 5% or more pretty dependable price appreciation. And some of the areas now, that's a little hard to do. Um, so you can do 1031 exchanges into better properties and you know add some leverage and, and better income potential and better tax treatment when you added leverage. If you're trying to get completely out of the active management game... There's different DSTs and and ways to get more passive and eventually find your way into a real estate investment trust or a 721 exchange where you can really diversify and create liquidity where you can sell small pieces at a time. And there'll be more to come on that as uh, not enough time to do it in the show, but um, that's that's a really attractive piece for people that are retired. They're kind of, I'm done dealing with the active management side. I'm done with the swap and drop deal. I'm done trying to find new deals every so often. You know, what are those options? But it's a big part of a financial plan for a lot of people, Rob. Most of my clients have investment real estate. That's good to know. And it's good to know that you're not uh, negative because I think there's so many people approach retirement with so many um, possibilities that you can find the positives in you know, just about anything out there. What else do we have to hit in the last couple of minutes of the show today? Well, I think those that, you know, just the idea of buying real estate. I think the first thing that I would look at is say, if I bought this property for all cash, yep. would I be able to get at least a five to 6% net income? Because I know I can do that in certain REITs and private REITs that I can buy myself personally. Um, so 
I, I, I have to make sure that my income is going to be higher and my growth potential is going to be higher than some of these REITs that you can find. If you want to know what a REIT is, you can look at, um, you know, RWR, IYR. Those are ETFs that inside of them, there, there's a whole bunch of different REITs, real estate investment trusts. It's just a form of corporation that, that um, you know, has to pass on 90% of the net income to investors. So it's, I think it's what, 5% of the S&P 500 now? Um, and there's office, there's senior living, there's student housing, there's, there's all sorts of different types of it. Uh, cell phone towers, there's digital storage, you know, for like the cloud and things like that. So it's a very normal part of our economy and you can buy those directly with no extra management, right? So if you're going to buy a rental property and use leverage, you better have that growth rate potential there because you got more risk. That's good to know. Um, I, I have no more questions for you. You're, you're free to go unless you have something you want to plug. Oh, no, you can just go over some of the steps that we're going to cover at the, at the event. Um, you know, it's, it's really the idea on tomorrow. I guess it's already tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Is these are seven things that you need to be thinking about and having a plan for before you go give notice to your employer. Or if you're already retired and you're wondering, man, I don't really have a plan for good markets, bad markets, a tax plan. I don't meet with my advisor to talk about taxes before the end of the year. And I need a second opinion. You should probably go. Yeah. And if you can't go, you can still get in touch with CFP Chad Burton by going to chadburton.com. But you should go because this is good stuff to learn and kind of grasp what you got and what you don't got. Taxes, income, long-term care, safe money. It's way different than it was three years ago. I can tell you that. The market's different with where interest rates are as well. You can sign up for this event 6.30 to 8.30 in Menlo Park at Stanford Park Hotel by going to chadburton.com or robblackshow.com. See you there. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.